0: Well, let's open the Word of God together as we look at Ephesians chapter 2. If you're using the pew Bible in front of you, you're going to find that on page 1242. This morning we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, but I'm going to read 1 through 10 to give us some context. Hear now the Word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask for Your blessing upon this moment. As, um, as I proclaim the Word, Lord, I pray that... Uh, The thoughts that are in our heads and the words of my mouth would be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. What if uh, you were having some financial trouble and uh, your car needed a little work? What if someone came to you and said, you know, no matter what's wrong with your vehicle... I'm going to fix it. No, 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 don't tell me. Don't tell me what's wrong with it. I'm just going to take care of it for you. Just, just go and get it taken care of and send me the bill. Well, that would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? But what if the only thing your car needed was an oil change? Now, you'd probably be thankful, right? I and mean, that's $30, $40. Bucks. Uh, if, if you go to Jiffy Lube, it's 20 bucks. if you do it yourself. But you'd be pretty excited. But you probably wouldn't sing their praises for the rest of your life. Right? That's kind of a $30 to $40 kind of thankfulness. Thanks. Appreciate that. Really, I really appreciate that. However, if your car had weeds up to its windows because it had been sitting on center blocks for the last 10 years, its chassis was twisted, its engine was seized, the brakes had rusted together, and the radiator you affectionately called Swiss cheese, then perhaps you would be pretty excited. The condition of the car would probably inform just how thankful you were for someone fixing your vehicle. As Christians, as we think about what God has done for us, especially in our salvation, the more we realize just how bad we were Before we had Christ, the more reasons we'll have to praise the Lord both in this life and in the next for all He has done for us. We're not the car that needed a little work. We are that car without its wheels sitting on the center blocks. Paul begins our passage as a straight shooter. Don't you appreciate that about Paul? He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Perhaps sometimes you wish he did. He comes at us right away. Doesn't mince words. And you were dead. Now, obviously, he isn't isn't talking about physical death. The Ephesians were actually living. The, The blood was pumping through their veins and their arteries. They were alive. So what's he talking about? How in the world could they be dead? Well, he's talking here about spiritual death. The opposite of eternal life, which we receive when we place our faith in Christ. This statement causes us to ask a very fundamental question. What is the condition of man? I mean, morally and spiritually. Is he just fine? Is he basically good? Which would explain why we don't have any problems in this world, right? Or is he perhaps just a little sick and just needs a little boost, needs a little shot of help? Or, as the text says here, is he spiritually dead? It's like the difference between the car that needed an oil change and the car that would never run again. Many of you have been to my house. Uh, we live over on Virginia Drive by Jalisco's, And it's a, we, we love our house. It's a nice one-story ranch house. And if you were to fall off my house, you would probably hurt yourself. Uh, you would probably, you might break a bone Indeed. But more than likely, you would be able to participate in getting help, at least by crying out for a neighbor. But if you were to fall off the tower that they've just built at GP, I don't know how tall that. Does anybody know how tall that thing is? It's about a bajillion feet high, I think. Uh, Tim, you know how big this thing is. Tall, tall. That's right. It's really tall. If you were to fall off that or the the tallest uh, building in my hometown of Montgomery, the RSA Tower, which is 22 stories tall. If you were to fall off that tower, would you be able to do anything to help in the rescue? You wouldn't even know that you're... From a flesh perspective, you wouldn't even know that you were dead. You wouldn't have need of a doctor. You would have need of the services of a funeral home. Here Paul says that before God intervened in our lives, saving us from our sins by His mercy and love and grace, that we were spiritually dead, like we'd fallen off that tower. Someone who's dead can't call for an ambulance. They don't even know they're dead. Dead people are unable to fix themselves, heal themselves, save themselves. And this was our condition before we became Christians. This describes us just like that car on its cinder blocks cannot drive itself to the mechanic, is totally unable, so too we, apart from Christ, are we totally unable to save ourselves or even to call out for help. But why? why? Where does this deadness come from? Well, the text says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, words which mean that we, in daily, we, in thought and word and deed, we are doing the things we ought not to do and not doing the things we ought to do, when we disobey God's law, we are dead in these sins. As we read Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. This is talking about spiritual death in the presence of God's wrath. Spiritually, this means that we're unable to do anything good. Okay, but let's think about that statement for a while. So this means that anybody who's not a Christian can't do anything good. Well, let's, let's qualify that real quick. We're talking spiritually here. Something to please the Lord. Praise the Lord that it's not just Christians who give blood. Praise the Lord it's not just Christians who donate to the Red Cross or volunteer for Habitat for Humanity. Everyone is able to do what's called civic good. For the good of community. But something to please the Lord, something that would be honoring to God... Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, we are unable to please the Lord. Which means we cannot save ourselves. It's got to come from outside of us. Uh, One um, famous theologian called it alien righteousness. And not the green kind, you know, not the green aliens. but, But an alien that is something outside of us, that is foreign to us. The saving has to be done to us. But our text, it just gets worse. Our text tells us that though we are dead, we're actually quite alive. I don't like horror films. I have a very low tolerance for anything scary. I will have nightmares for weeks. But we all know what zombies are, right? The living dead. And that's what we were before we were saved. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but actively walking in them. You know, zombies don't look for relationships. Have you ever noticed that in all the zombies movies you look for? The zombies don't look for other zombies to get married and have other zombies. That's that's not something that happens. They're estranged. There's no relationship. They're hell-bent on destruction. And that's what we were before Christ saved us. And so we were following three things, as one commentator points out, the world, the flesh, and the devil. First, we see in verses 1a to 2 that as spiritually dead people, we were following the course of this world. Well, what does that mean? It means that we were pursuing in our deadness a lifestyle in in conjunction with the world around us, a way of life that was contrary to what God wanted us. Contrary to what God had designed us for. The world here doesn't just refer to people in the world or or to the cosmos, the universe, or even the the planet Earth. It's talking about uh, the world in the sense of all those who are opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was the way that we lived. Now here's the thing. This is what can be um, so tricky. Have you ever been to a wax museum? I haven't. They kind of weird me out. But, you know, a Wax Museum, they look lifelike. And they're, they're dressed up nice and pretty. And they might even be posed doing something important. But there's no life there. And so the outward trappings of religion, of man-made religion, of, of even going to church, as good as it is, it won't save you. There may be the outward trappings of it, but inside the heart, there's no life. But, but it gets worse so we're, we're following the course of this world, but also the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. What in the world is that talking about? Well, the, this is a fancy way of saying Satan. Those who are spiritually dead are under the power and influence of the adversary of God and His people. Satan is actively working in culture and through and in unbelievers by his demons to lead people away from God, attempt them to sin, and to pervert all that is good. And not only that, in verse 3, we find that we were pursuing the flesh, the passions of our flesh. That's not a good passion. That's a, a sinful lust. You know that the world outside, the devil tempting us, the problem is wherever we go, there we are. This is the problem with monasticism. With monks is that you try to get away from the world, but then you carry the world with you because we're sinners in our hearts. Wherever we go, there we are. And apart from Christ, we are bent on fulfilling those sinful desires of our hearts and our minds. Anecdotally, we know all this to be true, right? There's some hard things that are said here. But as we look at the world around us, do we have to teach our children how to sin? It's amazing. I mean, I teach them how to sin all the time and how I model it for my children. But we may teach them how to ride a bike or we might teach them how to use proper manners. But but children just naturally, by their nature, according to this text, come into this world knowing how to sin. Just like me. So as we finish up the first half of our passage, we must say this is very bad news. This is bad news. But there's a shift at verse 4. There didn't have to be. After hearing all this, it would have been very godly for Paul under the writing of the inspirational Holy Spirit to write, and therefore God sent everyone to hell. Close your Bibles, that's the end of the story. But those greatest words in all of Scripture... But God. In spite of all that we've just read about me and about you. Contrary to all those things. But God. But God. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. God doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, He intervenes and saves us. We don't need an oil change. We need new life. We who are dead need to be made alive. This isn't a jump start with a jumper cable. This is an engine change, a heart change. The only thing that fixes death is life. And that's what He gives us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that was our situation. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. You had not done it yourself. He made we who were dead, He has made us alive he has given us new life. The Holy Spirit has come into our hearts, warmed our hearts to the things that we used to hate. Taken off the veil from our eyes, the, heart, the eyes of our heart. The things that we didn't understand, the things that we despise, the things of God suddenly seem amazing and we can't help but run to the Lord. He has raised us together with Christ. Christ died physically and was raised physically so that we who are dead spiritually might be raised spiritually. And one day when Christ comes again, physically raised as well. And He has even seated us with Him in the heavenly places. In some mysterious sense, our union with Christ, our identification with Him is so strong that in some way we can say we are already in heaven with God receiving the benefits, all the spiritual benefits that are in the heavenly places, as we read in chapter 1, verse 3. They are ours. And nothing of this was because we were good enough or had anything to commend ourselves to God with. But it's by grace that we have been saved. Grace, by its very definition, means that we aren't saved by works, not by working hard, at being good, or obeying God's commandment. A dead person can't do those things. God must intervene and do the amazing work of conversion. And so we have been saved and rescued. Saved from the wrath of God that we deserve in this life and the next. Saved and rescued from ourselves and the controlling power of the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. But why? Let me ask you something. When you think of things that you want to save when you're in your house cleaning up, do you save the things that are useless Those are the things you discard. That's the definition of mercy is to look upon that clunker in your front yard. What does it deserve? It deserves the junkyard. And to have mercy on that terrible condition, that terrible um, jalopy that's sitting in your front yard. This is what God has done for us. He has had mercy on us. He has not given us what we deserve, which is His wrath and hell forever. That's what I deserve. The preacher of this church deserves, and so do you. And by His mercy, He has not given us that, if we're in Christ Jesus. Why would He do this? Well, about the only reason we have is the love with which He loved us, found in verse 4. The great love with which He loved us. Why does God love you? Because He loves you. Why would He lavish His love upon you? Is there anything within us that makes us lovely? No. The only thing that makes us lovely is because He loves us. He has pitied us. He has looked upon us and given His sacrificial love even to the point of giving His own Son so that you and I, we might be made alive together with Christ. That we who are dead might be raised spiritually and given new life. He bestows on us His immeasurable riches of grace. Paul makes up a word here. The word "immeasurable" didn't exist in, uh, in Greek until Paul came around. Uh, he makes it up to describe the immeasurable riches of God's grace. Can you measure can you measure, how much water is in the ocean using a, uh, a measuring cup? No, you can't do that. You just can't do it. Nor can we measure God's immeasurable riches of His grace towards us. So mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. He did not give us hell, which we deserved, in His mercy because of His love, which we has, He has loved us with. And now He has graced us. It's like taking the jalopy in the front yard and, and, and completely giving it an overhaul and making it a, a Porsche 911 race car. And that's what He has done with us. He has made us beautiful, not because we are lovely, but because He has loved us. It's like when you go to your parents and ask for fifteen dollars to go to uh, the movie, and they hand you not a twenty or a ten or a twenty or a fifty dollar bill, but ten crisp Benjamins, right? thousand dollars. That's what overabounding, immeasurable riches look like. God has given us so much more than we need. Why did He do it? Well, verse seven helps us a little bit here. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If you you buy the old jalopy that's sitting in the front yard on the center blocks with a twisted chassis and you make it new. If you spend years on it, what are you going to do with that car? You're going to lock it up in the garage so that no one can see it, right? No. You're going to call all your friends and say, hey, come look what I did. This is fantastic. And this is what Christ will do in the new heavens and the new earth. We live with Him. He will publicly display us for all of creation to see, look what I've done. Look at the objects of my grace. Aren't they wonderful? They were dead in their trespasses and sins, and I've made them alive. I've lavished my mercy and grace upon them to the praise of my glory. This is what God has done for each of us if we have put our faith in Christ Jesus if we are dead in our sins and there is life available to us in Christ, He calls to you now that you might no longer be dead, but might have a relationship with Him both now and forever. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. So, Father, we thank You for Your love that You have lavished upon us, the riches of Your mercy and Your measurable uh, grace that You will show to us in kindness in the age to come. Lord, may we who have received this grace and this kindness and love, may we be driven to praise you more and more here on earth and in the age to come. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.